0: you return that I might live In my
1: father's house And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So what's the basis of judgment? Well, is your name or your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life? And if your name isn't written in the book of life, you're going to stand before the great white judgment throne of Jesus Christ. Folks, listen, you don't want to be there, okay? And there's no reason why any of us should be there.
0: At the end of time, when we all stand before the throne of God, he'll be looking for your name in the book of life. He'll want to know if you gave your life to Jesus and if you've asked him to forgive all your sins. If your name is found, you have eternity in heaven to look forward to. A life with God forever. What a glorious time that will be. However, if your name is not yet written in that book, Pastor Mike wants you to be warned, the future is not one you want to endure. Today is the day to decide to follow Jesus. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 1 John chapter 4 for his message, Free From Fear turn that in my
1: Now in context, and we always want to consider the text of scripture that we're addressing in context, verse 18 has to do with what came before it. And what came before it, guess what? It's simply verse 17. So let's go back to verse 17 and read that. Love has been made, uh, has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. Now, I want to focus in on that phrase, the day of judgment. And first of all, I need to establish the fact that there are two different days of judgment. And uh, whether you're a believer or not, okay, every person will stand before one of these judgments of God. The first judgment that I want to draw your attention to is referred to in the Bible as the Bema seat of Christ or the judgment seat of Christ. What's that judgment seat of Christ all about? Commonly referred to as the Bema seat of Christ. Well, in 1 Corinthians in chapter 3, verses 13 through 15, now this relates to believers and believers only. There's not going to be any believers that are going to stand before the Bema seat of Christ, okay? I want to make that very clear. But, and I hope every one of you will be there, and I expect you will be, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work, which he has built on it, endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Okay, so what is this all about, this day of judgment or the Bema seat of Christ? That is the day when all Christians stand before the judgment seat of Christ and every action, every work, every deed that we've done in the name of Christ, or at least we have put it forth as it was in the name of Christ is scrutinized by him, put to the test, and tried by fire. That is the motive behind, the motivation behind the things that we do. Whether it's, uh, you know, being here on a Thursday evening and leading worship, or standing before you in a service like this one as the pastor of the church and delivering the message on Sunday morning, or working in the children's ministry, or or getting involved in some kind of a street outreach, or or whatever we do, uh, putting a, uh, your tithe in the, in the offering plate, whatever. You know, you fill in the blank. What's the motivation behind those works? And if they are done just simply because we love the Lord, we want to please Him, we want to minister to other people, we're doing it with the right attitude and right motivation, guess what? You're going to be one day rewarded for the things that we've done with that right attitude and motivation. So we we should all be looking forward to that day when we receive that reward. So that's the first judgment that I wanted to draw your attention to. Again, it is referred to as the judgment seat of Christ or the Bema seat of Christ. And all Christians, now this is not, by the way, where your salvation is determined. Notice what it says there. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. You see, so this isn't a place where your salvation is determined. That's a work that has already taken place on the cross of Jesus Christ. Because it's not by works we are saved, but it's rather through faith and what Christ did for us on the cross. So I wanted to be very careful about that as well, to draw that to your attention. So that's the first judgment that I wanted to draw your attention to. Now the second judgment and I trust that none of you will be standing there before Christ at that judgment, it's referred to as the great white judgment throne of Jesus Christ. And the reference for this is found in the book of Revelation in chapter 20 and verses 11 through 15. So this is the second uh, type of judgment, the great white judgment throne of Jesus Christ. Then I saw a great, and by the way, this will take place at the end of, the tribulation period, okay? Then I saw, and also it will t- also take place after the uh, millennial kingdom of Christ as well. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. The books were open. What books? The book of life. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades, or hell, delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found, written in the book of life, was cast into the lake of fire. So what's the basis of judgment? Well, is your name or your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life? And if your name isn't written in the book of life, you're going to stand before the great white judgment throne of Jesus Christ. Folks, listen, you don't want to be there, okay? And there's no reason why any of us should be there. Now, remember, in context, so those are the two different kinds of judgments. Uh, Judgments for believers, judgment for unbelievers. Love validates our Christianity. And uh, how do we gauge? Where are we going to be? We're going to be at one or two places. We're either going to be standing before the bema seat of Christ or we're going to be standing before the great white judgment throne of Jesus Christ. But uh, once again, I want to remind you that love validates our Christianity. That is, our love that we've received of God, that love of God working in us and through us, and in return, our love for God. But I believe that John here is particularly concerned with, in verse 18, he's concerned about punishment. He's concerned about punishment. And it was his desire to warn the believers so that none of them would find themselves in that place of standing before the great white judgment throne of Jesus Christ in the last days. And I believe that there is no better test that we may apply to ourselves in order to discover the true quality of our Christian life and our standing before God than to examine ourselves in the light of this great fact of the day of judgment because it'll cause us to be extremely careful. It'll serve as a reminder that there is a day of reckoning. There is a day when all of us are going to stand before God and give an account. And so all of us whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, but this would apply to believers as well, because it'll care it'll cause you to be careful. It'll be a part of the equation when sin and temptation provides an opportunity for us. So we need to keep this Ever before us. There is a day of reckoning. There is a day of judgment. And we need to contemplate this day. Frequently be brought before it. Because one day, God forbid, we could be standing before it. And so we want to face it. This is something that we should always have in our minds. Now to help us face it, we need to take a look at some principles which are outlined for us here in this text by John. The first is, the natural man need fear. Let me say that again. The natural man need fear. Now think about this. All of us by nature should fear the day of judgment. Or let me put it this way. Every one of us should have known at some time or another a fear of that day. Why? Why? Because as the Bible tells us here, as John tells us, there is no fear in love. And perfect love casteth out fear. But listen, until that perfect love comes, so we should be fearful. That is, until this perfect love that's been recommended to us by John comes. The love of God in us, the love of God to us, the love of God through us. And if we haven't experienced that yet, there should be this fear. Now, I say should because, again, now remember now, we're talking about the natural man. We're talking about someone who isn't born again of the Spirit of God. Some regard it as a relic of primitive superstition. They would just kind of blow it off. Yeah, day of reckoning. Yeah, I'm going to stand before God and I'm going to have to give an account. Yeah, that's superstition. And I don't believe that. And there are just some people who that's their position. That's their standing. Or they believe it to be something inconsistent with the idea of a God of love. I've heard it said that God is a God of love. You mean God, we're going to stand before God one day and we're going to have to give an account. And if things don't line up, we're going to be thrown into the lake of fire. We're going to spend eternity in hell. I mean, how do we reconcile that with, with a God who's supposed to be a God of love? And unfortunately, that's the position of many a natural man and women. Listen, there is a good deal of ridicule and sarcasm as it relates to the day of judgment. Talk to the average guy about it, and they just kind of blow it off as if it's some kind of a superstitious thing or whatever. And then there are others who are not afraid of the Day of Judgment simply because of their ignorance. I mean, if you're not aware of the dangerous possibilities, you won't fear them. Let me give you an illustration. I don't know if it's a good illustration or not, but uh, nevertheless, this is what I came up with. You know, talk to a kid. I remember myself. I mean, I had absolutely no fear whatsoever. I had never, when I was a kid, Uh, And this is a true story. My family would come together on certain holidays, right? And they would eat, and then they would play cards, and uh, they would spend the whole day, and they were an Italian family, so they'd be drinking, and by the end of the day, some of them would doze off, right? And uh, now I'm just a kid. I wasn't even a teenager. I remember my father fell asleep in his chair. And I don't know about your father, but my father had like, Uh, this ring of keys on it on, you know, that was tied to his uh, his uh, belt. And so while he was sleeping with my other cousins, I went over while he was sleeping and I took the car key off of his key ring. And I decided that I was just going to take the family car out for a spin. Listen, I had never driven before. No one ever taught, you know, but I had no fear whatsoever. It was ignorance, man. Just total ignorance. I don't know how I did it, but I actually took the car, threw all of my cousins in the back seat, and we took it around the corner for a spin and actually came back and, and was able to pull in because certainly I wouldn't have been able to back in, but thank God it was big enough where I could just pull in and then, and then took the key and put it back on my father's key ring before he woke up, if you can imagine that. But the, and it's a true story. That's how crazy I was. Right? I was just a crazy kid. But I did that out of total ignorance. There was no fear whatsoever. So I don't know if that was a good illustration or not. Let me give you another illustration. How about electricity, right? If you go to like uh, uh, Babies or Us, they have these little plastic things that you put in outlets. So that, you know kids, man, they, they, you know, immediately they see anything and they put their finger in it. Anything that has a hole in it, they'll put their finger in it because they have no fear of electricity. They don't know anything about electricity. They don't know that it shoot through their bodies and kill them, right? But when you know a kid so we have to get all of these all of the outlets in my home. Now my grandkids running around loose, you know, we have all of these plastic things in all of our outlets. Because sure enough, you be, they're going to go over there and they're going to put their or they're going to put one of their little toys in it or whatever. Or their spoons or or their nooks, you know, the the nipples, whatever they call those things anymore. Okay, they have like a dozen names for those things anymore. But the point is, is that if you're not aware of the dangerous possibilities, you won't fear them. So the more people know, the more they'll see the dangers. And that's exactly why. We need to warn those people in our sphere of influence about the fact there, there is going to be a day of judgment. And do it in the right way. Don't beat them over the head with it. But if you don't warn them, who's going to warn them? You're in that position and place where you can speak to them about that day of judgment, that there is going to be a retribution. And I would temper that by sharing with them that it's never God's intention to judge mankind. He made it more than possible for us to escape the judgment that will fall upon the world one day. He doesn't want to judge anyone. He doesn't want to send anyone to the lake of fire. He's made ample provision for us to escape that through, his per, through the person of his son, Jesus Christ, and sending him into this world. So temper that message, would you? But nevertheless, we need to warn them. And, and if not us, Who then? Who's going to do it, right? So in your sphere of influence uh, amongst the crowd that uh, you hang with within your circle, you know, I think that that becomes a responsibility for each and every one of us. But there are great numbers of people who don't fear because they just don't think about it. They never stop and think about it. And I fear that many Christians don't think about it as well. So we need to be careful about this as well. They're too wrapped up in the latest excitement and craze. Never stopping to ask, really, what is the meaning of all of this? What is the meaning of life, my life? What is my ultimate destiny? You know, these are the things that we need to give careful consideration to. They're not afraid because they don't realize that there's going to be a day of reckoning, a day of judgment. But I suggest every thinking person knows something about the fear of this day. I mean, think about how much of literature, poetry, and writings, right from the very beginning of time, has been taken up with the subject of the afterlife. Shakespeare In his play, was it originally a play? Was it written as a play, Hamlet, in its original form? It was. Okay, Uh, Shakespeare and Hamlet said, uh, referring to that day of reckoning, or rather entertaining the idea of the afterlife, said in Hamlet, the dread of something after death, the undiscovered country from whose born no traveler returns. But isn't it true how much of poetry and literature is taken up with the subject of the afterlife? This is a question that people grapple with, wrestle with. Listen, apart from the gospel, that is a terrifying thought. I mean, what a tremendous thing life is. We are here, then we are gone. But here's the question. Where are we going? Where have those who expired Gone too. Listen, this is the most alarming, awe-inspiring thought in the universe. We need to think about it. We need to face it. We need to remember it in our conversations, our attitudes, our comments about others. Remembering that it is all recorded in the book of God and may yet confront us. We because. We just don't know. I mean, the way some people treat others, the things that they say and do, the pain they afflict on each other, the anger, the bitterness, the hatred. Listen, the natural man will spend eternity in horrible remorse. He should fear the judgment. So that's our first point. But now we come to something different. And this is where the gospel comes in. And praise God. Praise God for this. This brings us to our second point this evening. And that is the Christian should be free from the fear of judgment. Now, is there anything more glorious about the gospel than this? Listen, there there is a judgment. And every man, every woman will stand before that judgment. If if their name isn't written in the book of life, and the only way that you can get your name written in the book of life is on the basis of whether or not you've received Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's it. That's the only sin that you're ever going to be judged for. That's the unpardonable sin that Jesus refers to in the Gospel of John. That's the only sin that's unforgivable. When we stand before, God forbid, but we'll, let's, when that unbeliever stands before the great white judgment throne of Jesus Christ, God isn't going to throw out a scroll the length of an entire city block, with the mention of every and the record of every sin that that person ever committed, there's only going to be one sin on that scroll. And the question is going to be asked, what have you done with my son, Jesus Christ? And if they can't respond and say, well, I've received him. He's my Lord and Savior. Okay. If they can't make that claim, they're going to be thrown into the lake of fire. It's something that should definitely get our attention, right? So is there anything more glorious about the gospel than this, that we've escaped that judgment, that we are in Christ? In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 15, here's a cross-reference for you. In context, he's speaking of Jesus and his ministry. And release those who through fear of death. There it is, the fear of death. We don't fear death. There's no fear. There's an absence of fear. In my Father's house There's a place for
0: me In my Father's house Where I long to be oh, my The book of 1 John teaches the importance of growing in your faith. When you accept Jesus' free gift of salvation, it doesn't end there. Jesus transforms you, beginning on that very first day, and He continues to do so as you allow Him access to your life. Each new truth you hear from God's Word has the potential to change you, but you have to decide to let it. It's our desire at In My Father's House to present Jesus to you through each program, and we pray He's already making an impact in your life. If you'd like to explore more messages from Pastor Mike, visit harvestnyc.org. You'll find them under the Resources tab. Come visit us, too. You can join us for worship this Sunday at Harvest Christian Fellowship. To find out more and reserve your seat, visit harvestnyc.org. Or join us online to worship through the live stream. Each Thursday, we're also meeting virtually to step back into the Word and worship the Lord. We'd be honored if you'd join us. 7.30 online at harvestnyc.org. While you're there, be sure to sign up for our email list for daily devotionals and the latest event information at Harvest Christian Fellowship. We'd also ask that you prayerfully consider supporting the ministry of In My Father's House through donation, we appreciate every gift given and we'll use it to reach more people with the word of God. Find out more and donate securely online by clicking the donate tab at harvestnyc.org. That's all for today. We hope you'll join us again right here on in my father's house. Oh, my heart, not be troubled. I remember